I mean, normally in English, I just say Fagelstedt. So Emily Fagelstedt. Otherwise, if you want to give it a go in Swedish, it's Fagelstedt. Fagelstedt. Hey, I'm Steve Folland. How are you doing this time? Let's find out what it's like being freelance for digital communications strategist Emily Fagelstedt. I've always prided myself in doing everything by myself, but I've come to realize now when I'm approaching 30 that it's actually kind of more fun to work with other people as opposed to doing everything by yourself. More and more people are becoming freelancers and the world is evolving in this way. So today it feels like people that are freelancers often pride themselves in it. And the reason they are freelancers is probably because they're more successful doing things by themselves as opposed to what they would have been if they were working for another company where someone else would have decided for them what to do and what projects to take on. The thing now is that I can just engage in projects that I feel really passionate about and that also it makes me happier and it also probably makes the results of what I do better. Yes, how are you? Hope you're having a good week. So we've got Emily in a moment uh, just to point you in the direction of beingfreelance.com where you can find over 80 guests sharing their stories. Remember, no matter what they do, it doesn't matter. It's about the being freelance. Uh, so do take a look. And if you enjoy it, share it with another freelancer and help spread the word. That would be awesome. Hit subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. I've been keeping the vlog going. That's still up and ticking over nicely so you can hit subscribe on youtube to that as well basically if you've not done it yet it is not an interview it's charting my freelance week so it's what i get up to as a freelancer during the week only about five minutes something like that there's links at beingfreelance.com right now though let's say hello to this week's guest and that is digital communication strategist emily fargelstedt hey emily hello steve hi now you're from sweden where are you though i am right now in london cool well let's find out how you've ended up here both geographically but also career-wise so talk us through how you got started being freelance Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, I was still at uni actually back in 2010 and I was studying digital communication and media and I, I had still got like six months or so to go at school, but me and a friend, we started this project on YouTube where we were actually out on the streets of Stockholm doing street music um, which was really interesting because we're not that musical at all and the songs were pretty bad and the videos were not that good either but we we did it as a fun project just to see what would happen and like two weeks into doing this we got contacted by this small town in Sweden called Fred, who asked us to help them to actually arrange a national championship for street musicians because they saw that we knew some stuff about street music we didn't really but it, it still happened to be that way And for that reason, they asked for our help. So I ended up starting my own company to be able to take that project on, basically. Cool. So it was seizing the opportunity. Yeah, definitely. And I had no idea that doing some YouTube clips would end up with me becoming a freelancer. And now I've been doing this for the past seven years. So yeah, that was totally unexpected, to be honest. So how how did it then grow from there? Well, already because I did get that business going. So I had my own company registered and then I started thinking that, okay, well, now when I'm doing this, I could just as well go about trying to get new clients. So I started working for this pensions agency who wanted to 
appear on Twitter and they wanted help with social media. And this was again back in 2010, around the time when people were on social media, but companies weren't really doing social media at all. Maybe a couple of companies had set up a Facebook page, but no one really knew what they were doing there. So all of a sudden I started getting these questions from companies asking me about what to do in social media. And although at this time I had actually not even set up a private Twitter account when I got this question, but of course I said that, yeah, I can do Twitter. And then uh, I got a client like that. And a few weeks later, I contacted the photography museum in Stockholm that I just opened and asked them as well and said that, Hey, you guys are awesome on Facebook, you're not doing anything on Twitter, and I'm a pro now. I've been done this for <laughs> two months. Um, so maybe I could help out. And they just got back to me and said, yeah, that's really cool. We'd love for you to help us. So, And this was, again, still everything was during the time that I was still in uni. So I actually started off being a freelancer with some months left to go in school. And then it just kept on going, basically. Were you doing it as a as an individual, if you see what I mean? Did you call yourself mm. Emily or did you front front <laughs> to, yourself as a company? To begin with, I called myself Emily. So I was just Emily, the social media consultant. And then I just reached out to people and said that, hey, you guys should be on social media. And that way it was kind of, I mean, I always had this thought that after I graduated from university, I would try to get a job at an agency and try my luck there being a copywriter or something like that. But because the it's so hard to get into an agency, especially when you're just fresh out of school, you don't have any experience. And then I realized that being on my own and being a freelancer, I could just walk up to these companies that I really wanted to work with and get all of these projects that probably I would just have been able to do on a junior position at an agency anyway. But now... I was more or less leading the whole strategy around it as well, even though I was pretty new at doing it. But again, I guess it was the lack of social media being new right then. So there was actually no one that could actually call themselves an expert right about then. Yeah, true. How many companies like were you approaching at that stage? I think that in the beginning, I might have tried to get like five or six different clients. And then I happened to like have really good relations with them. So especially in the beginning, when I was doing more just social media management, community management, I kind of became like a part of those companies. So even though I was a freelancer, I was kind of like an in-house person for them. Um, and some of my clients actually that I started working with already then, which is now, yeah, seven years ago, I still work with. So Brilliant. Yeah. So on the plus side, I actually didn't have to approach that many companies, which was lucky for me. I just got really good relations with the ones I had and kept on working with them in the beginning. And how did you evolve it from from there like as as you then finished uni and suddenly that meant it all got very real and mm. you had the opportunity to grow it were you yeah. building up a web presence as yourself or case studies or blogging or you know all of these different tactics that we ever hear how did you market yourself other than approaching people outright well, I think that as you're saying, especially when you say that you are a pro in social media, that it's so important to think about what you yourself are doing in social media. So if a company checks you out on Twitter, of course, 
you have to be active there. You have to look professional there. Otherwise, it's just weird because you're saying that you can help them, but you can't even help yourself. So <laughs> so basically, I mean, I made sure that I had a Twitter presence from very early on. And Twitter is one of my absolute favorite social medias still, even though a lot of companies and people are leaving Twitter now. I'm I'm a diehard fan of Twitter, so I will always be there. But I also made sure to set up a website quite early. And then I try to do like maybe one or two blog posts a week to begin with, where I was just really reporting on different things that were happening in the digital industry. So if Facebook had an update, I would write a post about that and just something quick about how companies could actually make sense out of that news and things like that. So trying to just be on top of trends and reporting about things that were happening all the time so that when people actually came in contact with me, they would see that, oh, okay, but she she's really keeping up with the trends and she sees what's going on. So we will want to work with her because of that, more or less. And have you managed to stay consistent with that? So that's what you did <laughs> no. when you started with it. No, I'm not at all consistent. <laughs> I mean, that would have been nice. But I think the problem is that once, and I mean, looking at how my freelance career has evolved, I think that if I was doing more like Facebook posts and tweets in the beginning, today I work more with longer texts and I write blog posts. I help companies set up content hubs and I do articles for them and interview people for them. And because I write so much stuff all the time, and I hardly have time to write things for myself. So today, I at least try and aim for doing like one blog post a month, maybe. But at the same time, it doesn't feel like it's as important anymore, because now I already have my reputation, I have my client cases that I can just refer to. And in that way, it doesn't. I don't have to put down the same amount of time on actually updating my own blog. Although I do try and update my Twitter account still at least once a day. So, looking at your more recent blog posts as well, though, it seems like you've you've moved away from just reporting about trends, but actually yeah. being more. I don't know about digital life in general or just about life in general. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I think maybe when you've been doing something for a long time, you start becoming more philosophical. I also think that because, I mean, now I think that I might have worked with, I don't know, 45, 50 different companies throughout the past seven years. And I mean, I started out in Stockholm and then me and my husband, we moved to Tokyo for one and a half years and now we've been here in London for one and a half years and I think that one of the best things with being a freelancer and having different projects that you engage in is that you get the opportunity to meet so many different people coming from so many different backgrounds and having those discussions with people about both work but also life I guess somehow that made me more philosophical in a way <laughs> maybe that also displays in the type of content that I actually write now on my blog mm. so let's talk about the fact that you I mean up sticks and suddenly found yourself in Tokyo which yeah. <laughs> sounds pretty different to I mean like there's traveling the world right and then there's yes. going to Japan as in it it's not like going to Australia or to America. It, it's very different. So how did you find, you know, transferring 
your life, but also your freelance career and I guess becoming a digital nomad in quotation marks, yes. like mo- moving and working at the same time. Yes. Um, well, I mean, the reason that we moved was actually because, I mean, my husband has always been employed and he was actually offered this job in Jack, well, in Tokyo for six months. And then it was prolonged to one and a half years. And in the beginning, I was thinking like, okay, well, this will not work. I will not be able to just bring my work with me and keep on going as I have been. And I guess I kind of became unwary also when I was speaking with some of my clients because they were also not afraid of the fact that they wouldn't see me as often. But I guess it was also just Japan feels so far away and the time difference and, and the, everything around it. So moving to Japan, though, I did manage to keep around half of my clients. Um, and then just as you were saying, I became a digital nomad, although at that exact time, I had actually not heard about the term digital nomadism. So I kind of became that without knowing about it. And uh, I mean, in the beginning, I was kind of working from Starbucks all the time because it felt like a place that you could relate to and the internet was good and I could drink cafe lattes during the days um but i did be- i did manage to become more and more integrated into japanese society which i'm super happy about for once um i started studying japanese so that i could get a little more sense of the language and also be able to function better in the japanese society because even though tokyo is such an amazingly modern city in so many ways and it's very international. It's also very, very Japanese in the sense that people tend to speak Japanese and not English. So unless you don't speak any Japanese, it's actually quite difficult to do things outside of the more touristy and expat areas. And we were living in the suburbs outside of Tokyo to begin with. So we were more or less the only foreigners living in this town with maybe one million inhabitants. So, yeah, I had to (laughs) to learn Japanese, basically. (laughs) That's so cool, though. So how did you, um, I mean, you said you kept about half of your clients. What happened to getting the rest of the work to fill that gap? (laughs) Well, um, I came in contact with this guy who was working for a startup. He was he was Japanese. The startup was Japanese. And they were developing this mailbox app. And they really wanted to market themselves on the English-speaking markets. Although they themselves did not know that much, A, about marketing and B, English. So, so because of that, I kind of got in contact with them. And I started working with them two days a week as a freelancer at their office. So that's also like one of the reasons why I became more integrated into the Japanese society, because all of a sudden, I also had Japanese colleagues, I went for lunch or to lunch with them and went out to dinners and things and just had people that I got to know there. Um, And also, I started travel blogging, which I guess has always been something that I've wanted to do. So I just reached out to, it wasn't Swedish though, but to the biggest travel magazine in Sweden called Vagabond. And then I started reporting for them about Japan. And I also did articles for the magazine and things like that. So that's kind of how I managed to fill my time. Wow. So it's clear that you're really proactive at reaching out to people. 
Yeah, maybe. I have not thought about it. I mean, when, when it's like, I always tell people that I don't like selling myself or, and I don't, I would never want to work as a salesperson. But then again, I realized that that's kind of what I do all the time. So maybe. <laughs> so a year and a half of life in Japan, what happens next? What happens next is that we move here to London. And that's only because, again, my husband got transferred. So as soon as I was back in London, I think that people I had worked with before and also other companies kind of became more aware of me again. So it's kind of like I popped up on a map after not being there for a while, I guess. So all of a sudden I got all of these. And I guess in the past couple of, like the past one and a half years, I haven't actually had to do that much selling anyway, because people have tended to come to me on recommendations and things like that. So so actually ever since coming to London, it's been it's been a pretty, I don't know, like a pretty stable, safe freelance life i'd say do you go to like networking events or like um yes. you know, what, what you do i do and i'd like to i'm sure if you live in london you and you are a freelancer people would already know about google campus in shoreditch but i think that that is such an amazing space that google has just set up and they have events going on every day and they also have their co-working space where you can just go and sit down and work and connect with other people and talk with them and go over ideas, maybe find new projects to work on. So I've, I really, I mean, I've met a group of maybe 15 other women that are either freelancers or startup founders or just entrepreneurs in some other way. And I've gotten to know all of them through Google campus. So that's a really amazing place to meet people. And from that, has the work that you do changed at all? Yeah, I'd say it has. I mean, again, from from having worked more with more social media and social media management, I've like tried to move more towards a strategic kind of role where I instead of being the person that actually on a daily basis just produces content, I rather like to meet a company, look at what they're doing and give them more advice on their whole digital journey. So it's not just about being on Facebook and what you're doing there. It's more about what does the website look like? What kind of content is there? Do you work with newsletters? Do you work with sales presentations? So let's say you're, you've seen opportunities, you've given them advice about what to do. Are you trying to get them to do it all themselves? Or do you say, hey, I could do this. I like I could hire somebody to do this for you. Like, how, How's your business work that way? Um, I kind of do both, actually. Some of them I just work with giving advice and more or less holding internal training. And maybe I will be more in the background as a like support function. So if they have any questions, they can always reach out to me and I can help them. Um, but I also do setups where I am actually still the person that helps out with content creation, with Facebook ads and with, yeah, again, like I said before, I do a lot of writing. So with writing articles and blog posts and newsletter posts and things like that. So I still do that quite a lot. And you do it all yourself or do you work with other people to fulfill um, that need? That's a, yeah, that's a good thing, actually, how my company evolved, because up until I did come to London, it was only me. 
But as of coming back to Europe, um, I actually do have four or five people that I sometimes um, employ just part time to help me out with different projects. And some of them have the same kind of skill set as I do, whereas some people might be pros at SEO or video making or website building and things like that. So I can kind of put together a team and go to a company today and kind of act as an entire agency and say that if you have this project and you want to do it, I have the team to to help you out with it. So I'm trying to, someone called it a networked agency. So I guess, yeah, so I've evolved myself into a networked agency. Nice phrase. Yeah, how, have right. you, how have you found that though? Like managing that both on a practical level, a financial level? It's actually, I mean, it's... Uh, it's worked out pretty well because uh, it's always nice somehow because you help people to get work they will help you to get work and then if you're also the project leader behind something you will always get somewhat of an overhead um, benefit for yourself because you are doing that work as well so I think that doing and I I guess that was last year that I started off doing that, but like doing bigger campaigns or different projects together with other people has actually been very good financially. And it's, it's always, it's also in a way actually more fun when you work with, I've, I've always prided myself in doing everything by myself, but I've come to realize now when I'm approaching 30, that it's actually kind of more fun to work with other people as opposed to doing everything by yourself. <laughs> yeah. And I noticed uh, on your website, so you say you've also got a link through to Fagelstedt Communication. Yes. Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. Unless, and unless that's... I've just... Yeah, go on. <laughs> I'm, I'm um, now just sitting here thinking, did I say your surname wrong again? I got the name wrong. No, 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 it's right. So, yeah, so in Swedish, it's Fagelstedt Kommunikation. <laughs> it sounds so good. <laughs> right? It does, right? Yeah. No, but so that's actually because I started off being like a sole trader, but then I evolved it into starting a limited company, but a Swedish limited company, which is called N. Aktiebolag in Swedish doesn't matter. It's a limited company anyway, um, so that's why, and that's also kind of why I've started working with other people, and why I have been able to employ people under me and things for different projects. It's because I do have that agency in the background, and I guess that before um, I haven't really fronted the company that much, but I'm thinking about trying to position myself more as the head of an agency as opposed to just being the freelancer with a lot of contacts. And I think the reason for doing that is not, not that I'm unhappy with the amount of money that I can charge today for what I'm doing, but I do believe that you might be able to get more interesting opportunities and projects from companies if they think that they're working with a big agency as opposed to just working with one person, although the setup would be the exact same thing. But I think that it kind of gives you power and more of a voice in the industry if you, as opposed to, of course, you should always build yourself and your personal brand as well. But if you also have that agency, people will kind of think of you in a different way, which is strange in a way I guess but at the same time it's kind of true that if you if they see you and you are together with 10 other people as opposed to just being you they will just I guess if you 
yeah, maybe just take you more seriously if it's someone that you have not come across before. Yeah, it's it's an interesting thing, though, isn't it, of getting that balance between mm. evolving in that way and yet keeping the personal touch, which has served you so well so yeah. far. Because I have a similar thing as well, and I I don't use my company name really uh, mm. even though people know that I work with other freelancers but it's that whole you know they're used to dealing with me so how do you transition that into the agency name if you like yeah yeah and I, I really agree with you on that because like I told you before I do have some clients or not that many anymore but maybe I have two clients that I have been working with for several years and they pride themselves a lot in working with me and not with me as a company so for instance if I told them that oh but I have this other freelancer I'm working with so I'll let them do some of the work now it will kind of not make sense to them because they're not working Mm. with my company they are working with me Emily and I'm kind of part of their team now so I don't know. I, I think that I'm going, my aim is kind of to keep both parts going in a way that some clients I still want to have this really close personal connection with and I still want to be able to go out and grab a coffee with them and just talk about life and I still want to hug them when I meet them as opposed to being more formal. Um, but at the same time, I do also enjoy this whole thing of doing more like time-limited projects and campaigns for companies. And I think that when going after a gig like that, that it would make more sense to to be the agency as opposed to being me going in to do a big advertising campaign or whatever it might be. Mm. How do you deal with the actual... I don't know, the sort of... It sounds like you, you have a mix of working remotely, but you've obviously done a lot of... But at the same time, I catch lots of references of, you know, face to face and seeing people or working, you know, it's, it (laughs) sounds like the two, two sides of things. So I'm wondering how you like to work and how you keep those relationships and and work projects alive. Because you could easily be forgotten sometimes if you're working Mm. remotely for a client that you used to see face to face all the time or whatever. Mm, no, you're right. I think that um, what I do is actually I tend to go to Stockholm a couple of days every month and then I just have loads and loads of meetings and just meet with people all the time. And then I come back to London and I might be here for three and a half weeks or something like that. And that's when I just focus on working and to be honest, I I still work my very best when I'm by myself at home at my desk and I just focus and do what I need to do. But I still enjoy mixing it up with those very intense meeting days that I get out of being in Stockholm as well. And then, of course, I mean, you can't. I, I know that if I'm just sitting at home three days in a row, I tend to go crazy because you're not meeting anyone and you're not talking with anyone and you're not getting fresh air because you might forget to even go out the door. But that's why I really like places like Google Campus, because then I can just sometime in the middle of the week, I'll just take a break and then I'll go and sit there and I'll meet some of these women that I was speaking about before that I got to know through Google Campus and then we'll just work together and I might not get as much done because it will be more social and we'll also speak, but 
I think it's important for sanity to to meet people every once in a while as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's really great. It's it's nice the way the world's evolving in your favor, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I'm super happy about it. I know before when I started out, people were always telling me that, oh, but freelance, that doesn't sound that serious. And do you not want to get an employment and things like that? But more and more people are becoming freelancers and the world is evolving in this way. So today it feels like everyone kind of, yeah, people that are freelancers often pride themselves in it. And the reason they are freelancers is probably because they're more successful doing things by themselves as opposed to what they would have been if they were working for another company where someone else would have decided for them what to do and what projects to take on. The thing now is that I can just engage in projects that I feel really passionate about. And that also, it makes me happier. And it also probably makes the results of what I do better. Do you feel like you might move again? Yeah, I think, I mean, I, I really enjoyed the idea of living in different places at different times. I guess also when I was growing up, my family lived in the States for four years. So I went to public school in Connecticut, which is yeah right next to New York, basically, um, during those four years. And I got to learn a lot about being there. And yeah, I got to learn English and stuff like that. And then uh, during a time before I started university, I also went to Barcelona to study Spanish. And then, of course, now I have this experience in Japan and now also here in the UK. So, yeah, I, 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 I quite enjoy trying out living in new places because it gives you so much more than just going there for vacation. And I think that it's this whole digital nomad thing that you were talking about before, that if it wasn't because of my husband having an actual fixed position here in London, I would have loved to just go around and, I don't know, like live in different places, two different places every year, and then just go back to Sweden during the summers when it's warm and nice there. But, <laughs> but we'll see. I mean, it, it can happen if everyone's becoming a freelancer. Maybe he will too one day. Who knows? <laughs> What would you say have been like the biggest challenges for you? The biggest challenges? I think that when you are a freelancer, it's always super difficult to know with like the balance of work. Sometimes you feel like you don't have anything to do when you're putting yourself down about it because you don't have any work. And then all of a sudden you get all of these different requests and you're super happy and you say, yes, of course I can do everything. Um, but all of a sudden you have maybe eight different companies contacting you the same morning saying that, oh, we need you to do this today. And then you have way, way, way too much work to do in that one day. So, so I'd say finding that balance, learning to actually say no and learning to kind of appreciate those moments where you might have less work as opposed to stressing out about them. To be honest, I mean, being a freelancer is all about being able to have more free time, or at least for me it is, that although I might have the same salary as my friends and I do have big projects going on all the time, I still have much more free time and I'm able to plan things in a whole different way. If I want to go to the gym in the middle of the day, I can do that. If I want to take a lunch for four hours, I can do that. If I want to go on vacation for two weeks and work from somewhere else, I can do that. But then again, I think, and that's something that I guess I haven't really learned perfectly quite yet either, but 
finding that balance of saying no and not being too available when people try and contact you and ask you to do things. So you want to be able to not be so available? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny, isn't it? It's, it sounds like you, you, you want people to contact you all the time and then when they do, it's like, oh man, I wish I wasn't yeah. so available. I know. <laughs> yeah, or, or, so, so or, like you said, it is difficult finding yeah, that balance. F- fighting, <laughs> fighting that urge, yeah. Yeah, yeah no, I, I think that when I was younger also, I... I, I always tended to like answer emails the second I received them. And if someone wrote me at 10 p.m. p.m. in the evening, I would answer them straight away. But what I've started to learn is that people get used to you always answering straight away and kind of expect that. And the more you answer emails, the more emails you will also receive, which makes sense. And so I'm trying to be a little slower in my replies <laughs> these days. Uh, it's a good idea okay now i always do this thing where i ask for three facts about yourself make two true one a lie and let me figure out the lie what have you got for me okay so the first one is i used to practice egyptian dance (laughs) right the second one is i once appeared on national japanese tv doing karaoke and the third one is i once flew to sydney just to check if this iphone app was working correctly Uh, you once flew to Sydney just to check if an iPhone app was working correctly. Yes. Was that a work thing? As in you thought I could claim this <laughs> as an expense because I'm only flying there for a work thing. <laughs> Actually, the company even paid it for me to fly there and try it. What? Yep. <laughs> How long did you spend in Sydney? Two nights. <laughs> <laughs> I take it that was flying from Japan. Yeah, you're right. Flying from <laughs> you are correct. <laughs> Uh, you 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 practiced Egyptian dance. When you say you practiced, as in it was a hobby, or you, or you did Egyptian dance as a well, as I a did. It was thing. like more like an extra. No, I didn't but it was more like an exercise thing. So I went to this class for like half a year, I think it was, and then we just learned how to dance an Egyptian dance. It was a friend of mine who said that oh. Everyone's doing salsa now, but what do you think about Egyptian dance? That might be something. But it was such a weird thing. I mean, we were all in a circle, and then they said, okay, act as if you are a refrigerator. And I don't know. It's crazy. That that famous Egyptian dance. How do you act? Surely that's just standing still and having a light come on. If somebody, and, and, okay, Japanese. What did you sing on Japanese TV? Dancing Queen with Abba, which is such a stereotyping oh. Swedish, but yeah. Were they just filming in the bar you were in or did you apply to be on it? What was the deal? <laughs> no, it was actually, because the thing is in Japan that normally, I mean, when you do to karaoke, you're just in like small rooms by yourself with your friends but then some of my colleagues said that hey we should go to this one place in Shibuya which is one part of Tokyo where they actually have a live band up on stage and then you get to sing in front of the audience and so we went there and then it's actually not me that always picks Dancing Queen it's all my Japanese friends that always say oh Abba oh it's Swedish (laughs) sing that and so this specific day NHK which is like the national tv station in Japan happened to be there doing this show about foreigners singing karaoke in Shibuya. And that's that's how it happened. Oh, man. These all sound very true. There's a lot of detail going on. I don't I know. practiced. I don't. Oh, really? Oh, man. Okay. 
I don't know where the refrigerator would come from unless that was true with the Egyptian dancing. <laughs> iPhone app, why would that? I, I mean, I kind of believe the iPhone app. Whilst that seems extravagant, how else do you try out whether the iPhone app works in another country unless you... But that... Um, oh, gee, I don't know. Um, okay, the iPhone app isn't true. It is true. Oh, man! The other two were so convinced. Which was the lie? Unfortunately, the Japanese TV one. Oh! <laughs> but that would have been the, awesome if it was true. The detail in that. You're such a good liar. Thank you. Maybe I haven't thought about that. Maybe it's like with a salesperson thing. Maybe I should be like a professional liar and salesperson. I don't know. I, was gonna, I mean, listen, let's connect on LinkedIn when this is finished. Yeah. And I'll, in, I'll endorse you as a liar. As, yes! I think that's, Score, yeah. That's awesome. Thank you. <laughs> now, if there was one thing you could tell your younger self about being freelance, what would that be? I think that, again, um, what I was saying earlier about not being too available, do not make yourself too available, um, because you will just get stressed out. If you put too much pressure on yourself and you just think that you have to over-deliver all the time, you have to stay up during nights and work, you have to work weekends, in the end, I mean, people don't know how much time you're putting in anyway. And if you always deliver so much, they will kind of expect that you do that in a couple of hours because you always deliver quickly. So I think that knowing your own time and allowing yourself to actually go on vacation, for instance. I know when I started out, I sat on Christmas Day morning working for three hours before celebrating Christmas because I always wanted to be on top of things and I always wanted to show how ambitious I was. Um, but I wish I had known already then that living life is more important. Life is more than just what you do for work. And uh, yeah, so that's something that I would really tell myself at an earlier age to think about. Very nice. Um, Emily, it's been so nice to chat to you. You can Likewise. check out the website, beingfreelance.com. Of course, there is links through to uh, everything that Emily's up to, uh, apart from the Egyptian dancing. Uh, you can <laughs> find, well, I don't know, it might be in the blog somewhere. It might be, uh, who knows? <laughs> uh, so there's links through at beingfreelance.com. While you're there, sign up to the mailing list um, and also check out the vlog, of course, as well. But Emily, really nice chatting to you wherever you might go next. All the best being freelance. Thank you so much. Likewise.